It's an absolute pleasure to preach this morning. If you can go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please. We're going to carry on with our little series out of Ephesians. For those of you that have not been around, if you'd like to catch up, you can get onto the podcast or to the webpage. The last uh, four weeks, we've been looking at a little series out of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Oh, yeah, sorry. Mike and Kath are also away this morning. They are... Um, on holiday for a month in South Africa, so please pray for them that they would um, get refreshed and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly blessed as they're there. And um, as, as I said, Petri is ill. Uh, Nick and Glenda are away ministering this weekend again in, a, in another church, and so that's where the other guys are. But uh, we are here, and this is a good thing to enjoy God together. So. If you haven't uh, been around or if you've missed some of the messages, you can catch up. And uh, as a summary then, I just want to kind of summarize the the last three weeks uh, just to kind of get into the message this morning. But the first thing that we looked at a while ago was the the great plan of salvation that God has for us, that we were predestined from before the foundation of the world, that he saved us through the power of what Jesus did on the cross. We have present-day grace that we can live our lives without fear, without compulsion, and we live for that day, that final day, where Jesus, we will appear before Jesus on Judgment Day, and everything that is evil that you've ever done in your life, you will not see in, the, in heaven on that day. All that you will have is the reward that God has for you. The well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that a total, beautifully liberating message of the gospel of grace? That's what it's about. And um, last week we had a look at how this local congregation fits into that continuum, because we're part of a continuum. We're not just existing here in the 21st century as just this little burp in the middle of nowhere. We have a place in history, and the church has had 2,000 years of history already, and we have a place in that continuum. And we had a look last week how this local church fits in to that continuum, and how we have a responsibility as a local church, as the congregation, we have a responsibility for the health of this, of this local body. That's what we looked at last week, to see this church flourish We all have a responsibility. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at Paul's description of the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And I love the language of Paul, always so encouraging and so thought through. Every little, every word is, is, has its place. And he says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that the the church is the place that the Holy Spirit dwells. Isn't that an amazing thought? That's what the scripture says here, is that not the building, but you. And, and me, the church, everyone who's saved into, into the kingdom is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely an amazing thing. We're going to look at that this morning. But the first part of chapter 2, what Paul does in the first uh, 11 or 12 verses, he, he establishes again that we were aliens. As Gentiles, we were aliens from God. But in his mercy, God has done something amazing through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's reconciled us to himself again. And he's brought us into a law-free Israel. That's what Paul is saying in the first 12 verses. He's saying that Israel 
what it was is now being reconstituted under grace completely, and it's a law-free Israel. You can eat your bacon sandwich with absolute liberty. You can have pork every day of the week. You don't have to circumcise your children anymore, those male children. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying because of what Jesus has done, because of the amazing power of the cross, all the law was fulfilled in Christ, and because it's fulfilled in Christ and completely fulfilled, Israel is constituted in a new way, in the church, and it's completely untouched by the law anymore. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful thing. And so we had a look last week at Colossians chapter 1, and I just want to launch from that place again, where Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, you were once alienated from God. You were hostile in your mind. You were doing evil deeds. That's what Paul says. He kind of nails the point home. He says, none of us were born into the kingdom. When we were born, we were fallen. Uh, there was something wrong with you the day that you were born. That's what Paul, Paul is saying. <laughs> yeah. You didn't get, get saved into a Christian family. You don't, you don't kind of come into Christendom in terms of the nation that you are born in. There's only one way that you come into the kingdom, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Gentile. You come into the kingdom via the gate of Jesus, the door. He is the only way. This is an exclusive message. The gospel is exclusive. Buddhists would tell you you can just find your way to nirvana by being a good person. And, uh, and Muslim faith teaches the same thing, that you have to earn your way through fasting and praying and being moral. Then you, one day in heaven you might find acceptance before the throne of God. The Christian message says, once for all, because of what Jesus has done, your sin has been done away with for all time. And on that basis, God finds you acceptable. That's the only basis because of what Jesus has done. There is only one door. This is a politically incorrect thing to say in the modern world that we live in, but it is the truth of the gospel. There's one way to the Father through Jesus, by the blood of His Son, through, through faith in Him, that is salvation. Amen? So, Paul, in Colossians 1, says we're alienated, we're hostile, we have no inclination in our hearts towards God, and as a result of that, we are not God's friend at all. Uh, because we are hostile to him, we, can't be, we, we are not his friends, uh, but the good news is that we can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And Paul goes on to say, and he says in Colossians again, he says, because you're not God's friend, you, don't, you do evil things. And he puts those three things together. What was in our hearts, I said it last week, has started to show on our faces. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's saying the evil in your heart has begun to show on your face, and the way that you live is evil. And we become enemies. But, and there's always the wonderful but, but God took the initiative and he sent his son, Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, we have been reconciled to the Father once and for all. That's the gospel, all right? And so that's what Paul is trying to root us in in this, this chapter as well. So the question is, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 19, in the light of what I just said, the question that Paul is saying is, us who, 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 I only know one person in this congregation that comes from a Jewish heritage, and that's Ruth. Is there anyone else who comes from a Jewish heritage here? No. Okay, so this is the deal. Paul is saying, all of us who were Gentiles, all that means is you're not Jewish, all of us who are Gentiles, that God has reconciled, how do we fit in to the picture? That's what Paul is saying. And the good news is that the Gentiles have been brought into this new thing that God has done, and it's called His church. 
and he's reconstructed Israel in a new way in his church, all right? And so he uses three amazing pictures in this little, these four verses. He talks about a city, he talks about a family, and he talks about a building. And he starts in verse 19 with these two little words. He says, so then, Paul. And he uses those two words just to emphasize something. He's trying to say, in the light of what Christ has done, in the light of what he's been talking about in the first chapters, he's saying, it's absolutely essential that you as a believer and me as a believer, we absolutely know and are thoroughly convinced of who we are as saints and members of God's family. That's why he starts. He says, so then, make sure that you're absolutely rooted in this, that you know who you are in Christ, you know that you are a member of his household in God. And then he goes on and he draws out some implications of the first, from the first couple of chapters and he shows us why we can have assurance of, who, of, of being members of God's household. And he says this, the first thing he says is we are no longer strangers and we are no longer aliens, but we are fellow citizens. So he uses this image of a city. It's the first thing he says, Paul, he says the church is like a city, it's like a city-state. And he says, once you were separated from him, and if you read in verse 12, you, can, uh, you read that word again, that we were separated from God. And what it meant to be separated from God, uh, f- f- what Paul is saying, is that because of Christ we've been re- reconciled, but in the Old Testament you came to Christ through the covenant. You came to salvation through the covenant. And God made a covenant with Abraham, he made a covenant with Moses, and he made a covenant with David. And those were the covenants that he swore by himself, and his plan for redemption was through a nation called Israel, and as they followed those covenants and they were in covenant with God, that's where the redemption came from. All right? And so what Paul is saying is the Gentiles were completely alien, completely separated from that, and they could not be at home with God's people. All right? They couldn't feel at home because they were not part of God's people. But now, in Christ, they have become part of God's people. And now they can feel completely at home with God's people. And the crux is that all of the law has been removed from, the, the, from, from Israel now. Because Jesus has fulfilled completely, perfectly, once for all, every requirement of the law. And therefore, the law no longer applies. It is, in that sense, void. It's, it's done away with. Because Christ has fulfilled it completely. And so, here we have God reconstituting, if you like, reforming Israel. And what do we, what do we know from, from Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon a remnant of people in the upper room. And that is what God does. He's saying, I'm now birthing my church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Gentiles are brought into this beautiful thing that God has done because they too received the Holy Spirit and through Christ, what He's done and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we become part of this church, this universal body of Christ. Fellow citizens. That's the first image. What does it mean to be a fellow citizen? Well, the ancient, the ancient uh, cities would have understood that perfectly because he's writing here to the city in, emphasis, in Ephesus and um, strangers were completely foreign. They were foreigners, complete foreigners with no rights, no privileges, right, in the city. Much like people who are in the UK at the moment illegally. You might, if you're illegally here, have no visa or status to be here, you might be living in the nation, but you have no rights or privileges that go with being part of, you're an illegal citizen, all right? 
Aliens were also, they were non-citizens, and they dwelt in the city, and they had some kind of uh, privileges, but they did not have the right to, to be full members of the community. Like, a, a, for example, we would say today they didn't have a right to vote or something like that. Only citizens had full rights and privileges of being part of the community of the city. And you can read that in Acts chapter 21 if you want to read something of Paul's experience. So what this means is, as fellow citizens in this, this new holy city that, that uh, is the church, the Gentiles now have a new spiritual identity as God's people. In the same way, they have the same allegiance to Jesus as the first Jewish Christians did. So they have become heirs to all the promises that God had for Abraham and Moses and David in Christ. The Gentiles have the fullness of those promises as well. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So new, the new city, the new holy Jerusalem, the, new, the church, some of the people in, in the new city of, of, of the church, some of them are Jewish and some of them are Gentile, but both of them are fellow citizens. Isn't that beautiful? We have equal, absolutely equal status because of what Jesus has done. And that's a beautiful thing. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means we come to Christ through the same door, Jesus. It means anything of the law that, the, the, that Jewish people had to adhere to, we no longer have to adhere to that as, as Gentiles. And at the same time, people that are Jews that come to Christ, the law falls away from that. They don't have to observe anything other. Special festivals, uh, laws and rituals, all of that falls away because of what Jesus has done. And this new thing is constituted completely under the grace of God. Well, if you ever wanted good news, that is good news. Because it means you do not have to observe any ritual ever again. God is pleased with you because you believe on His Son. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. But now, like I said a couple of weeks ago, it is important how we live. I'm not saying we live reckless lives and live irresponsibly and sinfully. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that Jesus has done all that is needed to please the Father. And we believe on Him, and we are saved, and the fullness of the promises of all that was promised to His people, we now enjoy as sons, as heirs, as citizens of the same holy city. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Then Paul takes a little bit deeper, and he, he uses a second image. He says it's not only like being part of a city. I mean, there is a sense that you belong to London if you live in London, but it's, it's, it's very impersonal, isn't it? It's not like you have, you know, you know, when you're on the tube going into work on, on, on Monday morning, you have a measure of relationship with the people on the tube because you are Londoners, but you don't really know them. I mean, no one looks at each other on the tube, do they? So what Paul is saying, it's not just that we're part of the same kind of holy city. He's saying, no, no, it's much, it's much more intimate than that. It's, it's better than that. It says, we are part of a family. The church is a family. There's a much deeper relationship. It's not just we're part of a holy city and it's kind of out there. No, it's part of a family. And the church is a family. It's much more intimate. And we can draw close to each other. And so God is our Father. Jesus is our eldest brother. Yes? And you and I are brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done. That's what he's saying. Saying God is our Father, Jesus is our eldest brother, and you and I are sons and daughters in the same house. You know, the old saying goes, you can uh, choose your friends and your family, you can't choose. <laughs> and you can tell a man by the company he keeps. You know, you've heard those expressions, yeah? 
Well, the thing is, in the church, you and I have had nothing to do with choosing our brothers or sisters. God gives us our brothers and sisters. That's it. So God brings people together, and they're the most unlikely kind of people that God brings together in His church. But He brings all different kind of people together in His church. And they become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a deep sense of family unity. I love the church because wherever you go in the world, you can feel instantly at home, whether you are in Singapore or in Mumbai or whether you are in Los Angeles or whether you are in wherever you are. When you come into the church, there's a sense of absolute unity and oneness, this mysterious thing called the church because of what Christ has done in us. And we are one, brothers and sisters. Whether you are Chinese, whether you are Singaporean, whether you are Indian, whether you are English, whether you are American, whatever you are, in Christ we are one. Isn't that an amazing thing? And so there's a common likeness, there's a family likeness in the church, there's common family values, there's family traditions as well. Even you know, in the church there are family traditions. And there are even some secrets that are, belong to the church. And what Paul is saying here is that the, the, the Gentiles who were despised they are now part of this amazing, privileged family that's called the family of God through what Christ has done. You know, people should be able to say of you and I that we remind them of someone else. You know, it's when you, like, when you meet someone for the first time and you, their face reminds you of someone, you can't, you can't put your finger on it. You, kind of, you remind me of someone. Who is it? Who is it? I can't. Ah, I've got it now. Yes, you remind me of Jesus. They should be able to say that about you. Or, you know, You've got your father's nose. <laughs> you remind me of God the Father. They sh- I'm, I'm joking now, but they should be able to say that of us. There should be a family likeness that we somehow are, are being transformed into Jesus and people can look at you and I and say, yeah, you remind me of Jesus. You, uh, you remind me of Father. So the wonderful thing about God as our Father is that He doesn't show any kind of favoritism. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't favor Jewish Christians over Gentile Christians. (laughs) He doesn't favor Christians who lead or preach over people that don't. He doesn't favor us when we are offended with somebody else. Oh, that's a difficult one, eh? When we are offended, we think that God takes our side. And then the other person, suddenly God doesn't love them anymore. (laughs) <laughs> but God, He doesn't have favorites. He loves all of His children when they are behaving well and when they are not behaving well. He still loves His children. He doesn't show favoritism and He loves us extravagantly. I'm so glad about that because there are many times in my life I've behaved very badly. But God still loves me and He's still patient and He's still kind and He's still making me more and more like Jesus. All right? So Paul, again, now takes this image and makes it even more intimate and he says, We are more than just a city together. We are a family together. And then he he uses a third picture. He says, the church is like a building. Now you might think, well, what does that have to do with relationship? Well, I want to say, for me, it's even more profound than the other two because what Paul is saying here, a building, in a a city-state, the relationship is not close. In a family, the relationship's a bit closer. But in a building... What do you have to do to build a building well? You have to put brick upon brick, and every brick has to be perfectly in place 
chiseled to fit absolutely, completely, perfectly. And so Paul is saying it's actually even more intimate than that because each of us are living stones and each of us are built into this thing called the church upon the foundation of Jesus and it's brick upon brick, God chiseling away, making us perfect so we fit shape upon shape into this thing called the church. Man, it's beautiful. And Paul says five things about the building, and you can read in that one sentence. The first thing he says in verse 20, he says, The building of the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So what does that mean? Well, there's various views about what apostles are and prophets are, and there are basically two kind of viewpoints. One is that the apostles and the prophets were that original generation of men that lived with Jesus, that walked with him, that bore testimony to the resurrection, they were the apostles. They were the ones that founded the church. And the apostles, uh, the prophets were those that worked with him. And uh, it was necessary to be called an apostle that you had to walk with Jesus and have testimony of, of his death and his resurrection. And then the other view says, no, the apostles just continue and they will continue till the end of the age. So we have these two extremes of, of uh, one portion of the church saying that apostles were only for then. There, that time when Jesus was, and they bore witness to his resurrection, and the others that say, well, no, apostles are for today and will exist until the end of the age. Well, I want to say there's a third option, which I think is, would be my view, is that we can hold those two things together, and we hold them in tension. And we know from Ephesians 4, verse 11, the Bible says that God has given gifts to the church, and these gifts are men, and some of them are apostles, some are pa- pastors, some are teachers, some are prophets, and they are given as gifts to the church to build up the church and so that the church comes to the fullness of maturity. All right? That's what Ephesians 4 says. Would you agree that the church, as it is the God's worldwide church, would you say it's completely in a place of maturity? I would say it's not completely in a place of maturity. Therefore, apostles and prophets still have a work to do. There are still gifts that God is giving to the church to help the church be built up into maturity and uh, in the fullness of what that means. So the original prophets, uh, the original apostles, they did plant churches. They did have a special responsibility because they lived and testified to the resurrection of Jesus. But what the New Testament also teaches, if you look at Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus is uh, praying, he says, teach them, that's the later converts, to obey all that I have taught you. He's speaking to the apostles. So there's this thing in the New Testament that what the original apostles learnt and taught, they pass on to later generations. And when when Jesus prays for, for his disciples in John 17, he prays the same thing. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not just as I am not of the I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I'm sending them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they might also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they might all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. So there's this partnership between the original apostles and those that come after, and there's a responsibility that the original apostles passed on what they'd learned to another generation. So I believe that there are apostles and prophets today. I don't believe that they can be in contradiction to the, what the first apostles and prophets taught, but 
first generations of apostles have passed on through the, through the ages that we might inherit something of what God has for us into the future. So, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What else does Paul say? The second thing he says is that the church is built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is part of the foundation. It's, it's, it's the stone into which all the other stones need to fit neatly and find their place. Now, I learned this in a very small way when we built this little wall in our back garden. The stone that you choose for the cornerstone affects everything. It does. If the cornerstone is slightly out of alignment, all the other stones are out of alignment. If the cornerstone is not level, everything else is not level. It's important. And that's what Paul is using, this amazing image, that Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are in Christ. We are saved into Christ. And that really is the question, how do we know that we are Christians? Well, are we in Christ or not? If we are in Christ, we are saved. And we are saved in Him. And when we are joined into Him, we start to enjoy incredible, sweet fellowship with Him. And we've been looking, in the last years, we've been looking what that means, to be in Christ, to be sons and daughters, to be full heirs of the promises of God, completely set free from fear because we are in Jesus. And if you've been in this church for a while, you will have heard that message over and over again. You can go and listen some more on the podcast. But Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone from which everything else takes its reference. Thirdly, what Paul says is this holy building, this church, this universal church has a particular character. And he says there are a number of things that uh, characterize the church. One is unity. Jesus says, where there's unity, I will command my blessing. There's an, a unity that comes because we are in Christ, and there's a unity that comes horizontally when we learn to work together and live together and honor each other and be in good relationship with each other. There's a special unity that comes horizontally. As we are unified firstly in Christ, horizontally there's another unity that comes. And we begin to enjoy sweet fellowship with God and with each other as unity comes. And where there's unity, there's a powerful thing. Powerful thing, because God says, I will put, one, will put 10,000 to flight, two, 10,000 to flight. When you're unified, there's an amazing multiplication that begins to happen in God's church, all right? The second thing that I love about this, the quality of this building called the church, is that it's a growing building. It's always growing. It's always being added to. It's never complete, in a sense. Why? Because God wants many, many more sons to come to glory. God wants many more to be saved into this thing called the church. And so it's a growing building. It's built on the foundation of Jesus, the cornerstone of Jesus. But all the time, God is adding more and more. Aren't you so, I mean, I'm thrilled that God doesn't just say, okay, the building's complete. No, there are people from every generation and tribe and age that are being added to this thing called the church. And we are joined together in this building. It's holy. Uh, it's an amazing thought to me that the, the, the church is a holy dwelling for the Holy Spirit. Uh, the church is not an option for followers of Jesus. When you are saved, automatically you are saved into the church. And that's why it's so important that you are not a Christian that just wanders around aimlessly, kind of just like being part of this universal church, but never, never finding a home somewhere. Because when we find a home somewhere, we begin to live out the fullness of what God has for us. There's a sense of belonging in a local church community that is worked out 
And God then begins to knit us in as living stones, one upon each other. So yes, we are saved. Of course, when we're saved, we're saved into God's church, His huge building. But then we find expression for that in a local church community. Fourth thing that uh, Paul says, uh, well, let me just say before I get there, he says it's a holy temple. It's a holy temple. It's a joyful place where, God, where, where God's children get together to worship Him and have fellowship with Him. And uh, I love John chapter 4 where, where Jesus is talking to the woman of the well. Remember, you remember the story well? And He says to her, He says, now the time is coming when she's Samaritan. He says, you, you know, the Jews say we must worship in Jerusalem and the Samaritans say you must worship here on this mountain. And Jesus says, now the time's coming where that's going to be irrelevant, where it doesn't matter where you live because you worship God in spirit and in truth because the rules have changed. Completely, because of what I'm doing. You don't have to be in Jerusalem. You don't have to be in Samaria. That church, the body, the building, is where God's people worship. Hey, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. If you want a reference, that's John 4.21. And then Paul says a fourth thing. He says, the building of the church has living stones. Living stones. This, this so excites me. This is the, for me when I was preparing this week, this is like the highlight. The beauty of this building is that it's made up of many kinds of stones, and every single one of them is beautiful. <laughs> it's made up of all nationalities. It's made up of all creeds. It's made up of all colors. It's made up of all people who have different characters and personalities. Some stones are loud. And they have a Scouser accent. Some stones are quiet and shy and they have a Welsh accent. Some stones are a mixture of things and they have an accent like mine or whatever. But my point is that these stones are not just blocks of concrete. You know, like they build modern buildings. Just like everything's the same. Same height, same width, same depth. They all look the same and you just whack them in. Concrete blocks. No, no, no. The church is not like that. The church is made up of living stones that are different, that look different, that speak different, that have different personalities. Some are front-footed, some are back-footed, some are reserved, some are extravagant, some are exuberant, and they are all being chiseled away to be made more and more like Jesus wants them to be, and, when, and He puts them perfectly in line, and it puts them in the wall, and the building starts to go up. Man, that excites me. You don't have to be like me. I don't have to be like you. Isn't that liberating? We just have to be ourselves. And we are part of this amazing thing that God is doing called the church. Yeah, so I want to say to you, you are an important part of this building. Not this building, this building, this community, this church that God is building. Who you are, your personality, your gifting, your journey, your walk with God, where you've come from and where you're going is all vital and important because each individual stone needs to be put in its correct place for the building to rise. And the true master builder, Jesus, builds this beautiful, beautiful building called the church. And I love Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books. And what I love about Nehemiah is that it says the same thing when they're rebuilding the wall. If you remember, we studied it a couple of Years ago, they've, they rebuilt all the gates. They rebuilt the dung gate and the fish gate and the sheep gate and the Benjamin gate, all these gates that have been broken down. And there's a beautiful thing because it says the high priest and the priests build one section of the wall and different families build different sections of the wall. And it says they're the goldsmiths and the perfume makers and the magistrates 
and the politicians and the Levites and the temple people, they're all building different sections of the wall. Husband and wife, young and old, they're all building this thing and it rises into what God wants it to be. It's a beautiful picture of the church. If you are a goldsmith, if you are a restaurant owner, if you are a teacher, if you are a nurse, whatever your gift is, if you are a rugby player, it doesn't matter. You are who you are, but you're part of this thing that God is doing. And he's building this thing called the church, this beautiful bride that he's preparing. I find that incredibly exciting. <laughs> and fifthly, the last thing that Paul says about this church. He says it's a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And um, he encourages the Ephesian Christians at the end. He says, be built together, be the dwelling place for God in the Spirit. That is an incredible thought. God dwells amongst us. Just like in the tabernacle, God dwelt in the tabernacle. Just like the temple that Solomon built, where God came and dwelt, It's a powerful thought to think that in the church, God dwells by His Spirit. That's what He says in you and I. Corporately, He dwells by His Spirit. Man, that is, I I can't get my head around that. Doesn't that blow your mind? No. Well, I'm excited about it. (laughs) My wife is giving me a concerned look. And there's a scripture that we've been feeling in our own lives. Not my might, not my power, but my, my spirit, says the Lord. Now, I know that's been quoted many, 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 many times. But there's great power in that. We don't have to get anxious about building God's church. Why? Because He does it by the power of His Spirit. He adds the stones that He wants. He, he shapes the stones that He wants. He's the master builder. He's got the plumb line, you know, the plumb line. And everything that is not in accordance with the plumb line, he removes and he puts some other things in place so the building starts to go up in holiness. He takes and adds what is lacking. What is not necessary, he removes. We don't have to fear because Jesus is building his church as he works inside of you and I, every single one of us, so that he can bring many others to glory. So what about you and me? What about how we move forward? Well, I just want to say, let, let us be those that Yield ourselves completely to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's be those that cooperate fully with Him. That are not children that kick and scream every time He puts His finger on something in our lives and says, please, my son, why don't you just deal with that? That we would deal with it and let Him do what He wants to do. As He prompts us, as He changes us, as He says, go and pray for that person, whatever it is, as He transforms us from the inside out and He gives us good works to walk in, not to, for salvation's sake, but for the good things that is prepared for us to walk into, to be a blessing to communities. Let's be, let's be those that walk by the Spirit deliberately, as Michael Eden said, and then we will be those that fulfill the law accidentally. Let us be those that are a community of believers that are so being added to each other that truly we love each other from the heart, that we love this community from the heart, that we would see God do amazing things in the life of this church, part of the expression of what he's doing in his church, the universal church that God has called us to be part of. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your church. I want to thank you for 
what you are doing in the world, that you're taking people from every creed and color and nation and you are building them into this holy city, this new constitution of Israel, this new nation, this new family, this new bride. There's so many pictures that you use for your church, but Lord, we want to say thank you that you save us into your church. I want to thank you, Lord, that you save us, that we can become part of this amazing bride. And I pray, Lord, that as we as we enjoy that together, that you would build this local church as an expression of that, with a unique flavor and a unique personality and a unique character. I thank you that you're doing an amazing thing. And Lord, I want to pray that you would add stones one on top of each other, that you would bring unity, that you would bring a deeper sense of relationship and freedom in our relationships as we walk with each other. Lord, that you would enable us to be patient with each other, to look past differences and to find what is common, and that is what Jesus has done. I thank you, Lord, to this church, you want to add people from every tribe and nation and every different kind of personalities and different kinds of of people. I thank you for that. That is part of the beautiful thing that you're doing, that the wall is going up. The wall is built of living stones, all who are different from each other, but are all so necessary and so wonderfully part of what you're doing. So I want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.